Hello. Welcome. This is another episode of No One Is Listening. Uh, I'm Steve, and I'm here again with uh, our resident pop culture savant, Jen. Say hello, Jen. Hello, guys. Uh, so we have an interesting episode uh, in store for you today. Uh, Jen and I were trying to figure out what to talk about today, and she had the brilliant idea of talking about our favorite auteurs. Um, I think this is something we alluded to, like, that first, the very first episode, um, and thought... It'd be fun to, to talk about some of our favorite ones. Um, but for those of those of our listeners that don't know uh, what an auteur is, or maybe you know what kinds of people we're referencing today, do you have a, a little definition or a little little info thing you sure. drop on there? Sure, I had to research this because I it's not a word that I think people use very often anymore. Um, it's kind of an old word, I think. Um, it was coined by this. French filmmaker and critic in the 50s. Um, don't know how to say his name. Francois. Um, yeah, that sounds French. It is French. Uh, he is French. And he sort of presented this idea of um, giving films an artistic status through mm. um, film authorship. So, you know, I think that's really saying that the director is really the author of the film because ultimately, like, their vision and style is... Um, stamped onto the film and I know a lot of people are involved in making the film but really the director's at the helm of all of that um with that said though the term I think is controversial because um some people aren't like a little bit on the fence about whether filmmakers can have a unique signature style which I think Steve and I are here to talk more against that right, right, that right. controversy just because I think we can name a, quite a couple of people who we feel have very strong motifs running through all of their oh, for sure. uh, body, the body of their work so um, should we start yeah yeah you know why don't why don't I go why don't I go first um, and just to preface this I mean uh, Jen and I have uh, jobs and lives. So, so I, the reason I preface that is because uh, a lot of people were referencing. I know specifically for me, I haven't seen all their works, but when I see their name attached to a project, I have certain expectations. Not in terms of like the quality of the work, but like even what it'll look like, what it'll feel like, um, and and kind of their uh, production process, right? So the first one um, for me, first auteur I thought of was Alfonso Cuarón. Yeah, uh, he did. Um, one of my favorite movies, the last like I don't know, I want to, I think it's like my favorite movie of the past like five years. Is that I'd true? Say. Really? I think so. I can't think of one. I was thinking about this. I couldn't think of one that I liked more than Gravity. Um, Gravity was a movie that I saw like in theaters with like a friend, and like the next week I like snuck out to watch it again by myself. But I like I didn't want anyone to know, and that's how super into it I was. Um, he did uh, Children of Men. I didn't watch that, but I Wikipedia it. Uh, and then he did what I thought was like my favorite Harry Potter. No, it was my favorite Harry Potter, and what I thought was the best one, um, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I agree with that. You know, yeah. um, I I don't know. I feel like I think there was like the one guy that did like the last three, but for the first four, they had like a different mm-hmm. person do it. And I think it's the most um, traditional. Like it's the most traditional movie out of all of them, and it really benefits from having uh, Coron at the helm because um, he. Okay, so how did you think? What do you? Uh, this is we're gonna go off on a tangent, but do you, do, you, do you think any of those people, uh, the three kids, like Hermione, uh, Harry, or Ron, Not are like their good real names? But okay, whatever. I mean, the only one who's 
real name I know is Rupert em- Emma, Emma Daniel. Emma, I, em- Emma's the only one whose real name I know. Do you think any besides Emma? I think she's a good actress. I think right? she's great. No, like, I think two dudes. Actually, Do you think they're good? Yeah. No. I really? Think, well, you know what? I haven't actually movies? seen Rupert Grint in a lot of stuff, but um, what's his last name? Grint, I think. Grint. Okay. Um, but Daniel Radcliffe is a great actor. He's grown into a really great actor. But in these movies, um, right? It's hard because they're children that were not necessarily trained to be actors who've sort of grown into their roles as time has gone fair, on. Fair, fair. And it doesn't help that they're, they're like on screen with Alan Rickman and, and Maggie Smith, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I thought like uh, for Prisoner of Azkaban, um, it was the best one and it was the one that kind of like hid their uh, lack of acting chops the most. Um, and that was due to... Due to him, you know, just like uh, just like the production of, or the quality of the production of, you know, like his, his directing. Um, I really want to go into Gravity. You saw Gravity, right? I did. You did. And, you know, did you hear about how the George Clooney role was supposed to go to, um, what is it, Robert Downey Jr.? No. And then they... They did like a screen test or whatever. Maybe it was just a table read, and he kept ad libbing. And Alfonso Cuarón was like, "Yo, you're so good. You're so good, RDJ. You're so good." But we can only shoot these scenes once because it costs like a million dollars a second. <laughs> like we can only shoot these scenes once. You have to stick to the, to the script. script. And he was like, "I can't." So they were like, "Oh, then we can't." Wait, does that mean Robert Downey Jr. ad libs? In everything that he does, I think like if he literally can't stick to a script, I'm assuming of oh, an actor like Robert Downey Jr. probably does a few takes, and in some of the takes he'll do a take, yeah. and then he'll do a take again with like ad lib, and he'll do a take again like just sticking to the script, and so on and and so forth. Um, you know, from everything I read about Gravity, I mean that I think it was a movie that uh, Coron and his editor. I think it took them like 10 years to make because they tried making it like 10 years prior, but the technology didn't exist mm-hmm. for them to shoot the movie they went, the way so they wanted to. Crazy to think so they had to, in, they had to wait and invent it yeah. and then shoot the movie. I think that's why there's kind of like a gap between Children of Men and Gravity. There's like a seven-year gap between the two. Um, and so... So what would you say Quaron's signature style is? Because we're talking about he, oh, I'm so glad you that, asked. right? Yeah. So w- specifically with um, with Prisoner of Azkaban, with Children of Men and Gravity, he does this amazing thing where there will be something on screen, mm-hmm. and it's like not really in the picture, and all of a sudden it becomes like super central to the the camera's angle, mm-hmm. what what you're looking at, and so the example is like in Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, whenever there's like animal, I think this is the one where like they change into animals, right? There's like the Harry Potter meets like Sirius Black who like becomes yeah, like a yeah. dog. And then there's like the rat who's also like part of his like dad's yeah. like rat pack or whatever. And, um, the way he moves the camera, I think is unlike anyone. I, and that like all due respect to Scorsese, right? Who also has like amazing camera work. But I think Quaron does stuff that I've never seen in Children of Men there's this one scene where I think they're like there's like this ball mm-hmm. this like plastic 
it's almost like a ping pong ball, right? Yeah. And they're blowing it from one person to the other. And the way he uses cameras to go in and out of spaces that I didn't even think were possible. So they're doing this in a car as they're driving and they're blowing like this ping pong ball from like one, one person's mouth to the other, to the other, to the other. And it tracks it, follows it, and he goes around and through the car. Uh, in Gravity, there's a scene where it's the very first scene where it's just like Earth in space. Right, and you see like nothing, and yeah. then all of a sudden, like out of the right corner, you see Clooney come and gets mm-hmm. closer and closer and closer and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's another scene where my favorite is um, when Sandra Bullock first gets like into the airlock, mm-hmm. and she takes off her her yeah. astronaut yeah. suit, and it's like it's like the most beautiful. It like makes me cry. It makes me tear up. Like when I see it, I don't know why she like takes off the suit. And then, like, slowly gets into, like, the fetal position. Uh-huh. And it's almost like this, like, human baby in space. And uh-huh. it makes me f- feel, like, all these emotions. Well, you feel all the feels. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's, like, the feels, but it makes me feel something. And it's just, like, awe and wonder. And it's, like, you. it, it just makes me, it just feels like no matter how old you are, like, you are such a helpless infant mm-hmm. in, like, the vast vacuum of space. Yeah. You know, um, so that's that's me. Who who did uh, who did you have? Um, so I have two people on my list who I want to talk about. I think mostly for their visual styles. So it's Wes Anderson mm-hmm. and Sofia Coppola. And um, for Wes, I feel like he like all of his movies. Um, they he, they have signatures. Like he uses a lot of symmetry. He uses a lot of mm-hmm. patterns. Um, and he also, I think you and I are both fans of tracking shots. And so uh, he's also yes. done some amazing tracking shots. Um, there's a scene in Darjeeling Limited where they're getting, they're running to catch a train. They're like getting on a train. It's like one long tracking shot. That's kind of amazing. Um, but really he, I like that his films are so much about characters. And they're really, I think, Family is always at the center of every story that he chooses to tell. Um, so I'm a huge fan of Wes Anderson. Um, on that same vein, um, Sofia Coppola, I like to liken as, like, I feel like if, like, Instagram filters had a movie, like, <laughs> they would be using her. She uses a lot of, like, soft and natural lighting, and there's a very dreamlike quality to all of her films. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a lot of... Um, characters in her movies that sort of wander seeming like wander aimlessly around um and just the visuals that she uses kind of and the like I feel like her cameras sort of like move languidly and I think that sort of adds to this like dreamlike quality that all of her films have um maybe except for Bling Ring which is her most recent work um but even then those that movie was I think it was, um, it's still about these characters who are just, like, trying to find themselves. Um, and, of course, women are at the center center of right, all of right, the movies, right. which I, you know, I'm a huge proponent <laughs> of. So I love Sofia Coppola. I love um, Wes Anderson. And I feel like all of their movies, for the most part, visually speaking, like, no matter what scene you pick, you, like, that's their signature and you can see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, um, Are you... How do you feel about Lost in Translation versus her? Like as a commentary of their relationship. So just to back up 
for people. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Sophia yeah, Coppola yeah. directed Lost in Translation. Right. It's a big movie, and she used to be married to the director, Spike Jones, mm. who directed her. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, I... Do you want to tell me your thoughts on it? So, I think it's interesting, because, like, in Lost in Translation, Giovanni Ribisi is, like, the director, and he's, like, super into his work, and yeah. she almost feels, like, neglected, right? And that was... When they were still married, right? Or I, did they already divorce? I thought they were divorced, to be honest with okay. you. Uh, we could be wrong. I'll look it up later. But um, and then, but in her, you know, is it uh, Mara Rooney mm-hmm. plays this? Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Rooney Mara plays um, Joaquin Phoenix's, like, ex-wife. And, like, he, like... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, like, in the movie talks about how, like, her, his ex-wife's, in the movie, his ex-wife's, like, father was always, like, very disapproving and, you know. Father being Francis Ford Ford Coppola. Coppola. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean? Um, And so I'm, I feel, I feel like I'm, it it really depends on which one I've watched most recently that I'm more sympathetic to, but um, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really tough because neither Giovanni Ribisi nor Rooney Mara come off very well. They're not like, the but that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, the moral of this story is we need to become film directors so that <laughs> we can paint our exes yeah. in, in terrible lights. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's like nothing. Maybe it's just like two broken people that haven't like reconciled. Yeah. Um, but no, but that's very interesting um, comparison. I feel like. So if you had Rooney Mara and from her meet Giovanni BC from Lost Translation, that's I'm, I'm sure that would be closer than if you got the other corresponding characters, mm-hmm. right? Um, okay, cool, cool. Uh, let's see. My next one is... I have to preface this also by saying I, I don't think he's great. Like, in like his work... I, don't, I wouldn't say his work is phenomenal. Like, I don't think he's an awesome director, but... He has he has a very special place in my heart. Right? I feel like we can preface this whole conversation. Oh, fair, right, fair, with, fair. Um, these are people. I mean, if you Google like auteurs or whatever, like there are people that you know belong on this list and yeah. have like tested like. Yes, yes, yes. Um, We've gone out of our way not to be not to talk about right, you like know, the Scorsese, Scorsese. of the world. Yeah. Like, of course, yeah, but we don't need to waste our breaths. On yeah. that. There's enough people who've mm-hmm. written. And these are just about people them. that like hold weird special places in our yeah. lives, our hearts for whatever reason. So Steve, yeah. who is your person? Uh Christopher Nolan. No, uh, but I feel like a lot of people would like say that. You think so? Yeah. I, I maybe not people I respect. Obsessed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just lost like I know, two, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. two I'm sorry. of our I'm sorry. I'm sorry. four yeah, listeners, yeah. Steve. Um you know okay, so let's go through uh his IMDb I'm looking at his IMDb page, right? Um and these are movies that have come out, right? So there's Interstellar, uh, Dark Knight Rises, Inception, The Dark Knight, The Prestige, Batman Begins, Insomnia, Memento, and there's a movie called, I guess, Following? I never even heard of that. I thought his first Following. one was Memento. Um, did you watch um, Moment- Memento? I did not watch Memento. Uh, it's a great movie. That's yeah. with uh, Guy Pierce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's That's been one of those movies that, like, I've always been meaning to watch, but I've never it's on actually. Your list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's on my fictional list, but uh, it starts with Batman Begins, right? Uh, I watch. I love that Dark Knight 
trilogy. I think it's so good. Uh, I watched The Prestige. Uh, Inception is one of the movie, one of those movies that um, I like love, but there are parts of it that I think are like super dumb. Because um, you don't, because it makes no sense. No, right, it makes sense. But okay, so here's the thing. The thing with Christopher Nolan is that in all of his movies, maybe not Memento, but in all of his movies from Batman Begins and on, it's like 90% great. And there's 5 to 10% where I'm just like, this what? This is yeah. stupid. Like, this sucks. But he, I feel like he always sticks the landing. And I feel like starting with, I would say, either The Prestige or The Dark Knight, he always ends his movie on like his signature soundtrack like Hans Zimmer like has that like that one yeah. song that like represents the whole movie and it's like there's never any talking at the end yeah. you know there's like a little bit of talking and then people stop talking you know and it's just like the soundtrack and it's like um almost like a POV camera for each character and they get like one final mm-hmm. smile or one final like wave or one fi- final like head Something, nod, yeah. you know. And then it always ends on like the crescendo of like that. Uh, what is it that uh, that song? Um, and I think he loves. He the reason why I thoroughly enjoy his movies is because he somehow makes cliches feel like not so cliche. Uh-huh. It's like with Interstellar. It's like. Love makes time travel possible, you know, or like, um, what is it like? Inception is like, oh, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if he's stuck or not because he's just happy where he is. Uh, with like the, and it's really weird because with like the Batman trilogy, um, people love it and it's like so action packed, but if you really delve into it, his question, his central question in that trilogy seems to be like, is Batman even like necessary mm-hmm. you know because like even in like Dark Knight right, it's like a whole 45 minutes before he comes back um, and I, I'm sure like Heath Ledger's passing um, affected, that. affected that and kind of I, I from what I've read they had a Dark Knight and then they had like a Dark Knight part 2 that they already had uh, outlined mm-hmm. before Heath Ledger's passing mm-hmm. you know and they had to scrap it completely and luckily Dark Knight could like stand on its own yeah. You know? Um, and so I think it's... He's really heavy-handed with his cliches, but I think he makes it so entertaining, and he sticks to landing uh, so well that it kind of... I, like, almost don't care. You know? And I think he, he's always trying to do cool and new stuff. Like, I know with... He's always playing around with, like, geometry and, like... Gravity, almost. Yeah. Uh, I remember in, like, The Dark Knight, he's, he said uh, he's always seen trucks flip in movies, but he'd never seen one flip forward. So that's what he did. And then, so that's what he did. And then in Inception, uh, he'd seen fight scenes, but he'd never seen one where, like, the room was rotating. And so he wanted to find a way to make that work, like the jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so he's... And then in Interstellar, he's got, like... You know, the, the when they're on that one planet where, like, the waves are, like, it's, like, hundreds of feet yeah, high. Yeah. You know, he's, like, always playing with your sense of... Like, what's, uh, um, Like, your sense of balance. You know, he's, like, always playing with that. And, and, you know, I just... I like that a lot. Um, Interstellar is also a movie about space. Yeah. Compared to Gravity, like, 
and they followed gravity, right? Like yeah, yeah, it followed gravity. Did, yeah. you, like, did you have high expectations going into it? I mean, obviously, I, different directions, you know, whatever. You know what it is? I did have high expectations. So Interstellar came out in 2014, and I did have really high expectations for it just because, like, at that point, he'd done so much good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd done the Batman trilogy. He'd done the Prestige and Inception. I was like, man, this guy can't miss. And Interstellar was, like, not that great. Um, yeah. I didn't think it was that great. It was kind of a letdown. And that's when I realized, that's like watching Interstellar made me go back and be like, reanalyze all those movies. And it was like, you know what? Like he, he, he's got great ideas, but he's kind of, uh, his stories are all kind of simple. Like Inception is obviously like a very convoluted story and the, the plot is super dense. But in terms of like his message, it's always really simple. You know, and that's when I kind of even, I would say, grew to appreciate him more. Because right. so I was like, man, this is just a guy, like, making, like, simple stories. But, like, he's just doing it in, like, his cool, his own, like, cool way, you know. And what I like is that, you know, I think he works very closely with his wife. They have a production company. I think it's called Syncope. Yeah. You know? So he writes, directs, produces all his own movies. For a really long time, I thought his wife was Emma Thompson. It's not. It's, like, her name's, like, Emma Thomas or something like that, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what a marriage!" Like, in <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that that's it for Chris Manolino. Who did you have? Um, I picked somebody that you also want to talk about. And oh that's yes, Richard Linklater. Ah, so I think good. Steve and I, you know. God, Boyhood, I feel like, was our creed last year, yeah. right? Or it was, was the year before I, that? I, mean, I like, love Boyhood. We love Boyhood. I am so very bitter about Boyhood not winning Best Picture at the Oscars. If you, if you take 12 years to make a movie, that's... Sh- that, like, here is something. the Oscar. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for doing that for us. Um, but, you know, I think Richard Linklater's, uh, like, style, um, he's... It's a lot about personal relationships, mm. and it's actually, um, he. it's a lot about uh, the effects of the passage of time, I feel mm. like. So a lot of his movies actually take place in, like, one day. Um, so the Before series, Before Sunrise, Sunset, Before Midnight, mm-hmm. like, they all take place in the course of a day. I think Days and Confused takes place over the course of a day, too. If Days I and Confused right. is the last, yeah, it's the last day of school. Um... And then, and then on the flip side, Boyhood takes place over 12 years, so that's kind of ironic. Um, but he, you know, I think he's all about this loosely structured narrative, and so it's very less, um, it's not, you know, like, I feel like the narrative can be played around with, but that gives him much more, um, it allows the focus to be on the characters and their growth mm-hmm. um and you feel like you know these characters so much obviously with boyhood it's because he's taking you through 12 12 years of um someone's life but even in the before series um ethan hawks and julie dolby's characters like because the entire movie is just them talking right yeah they're literally talking the, for two hours like you get to know these characters and you get to care about them and like that's something that i like what did you want to say about Richard Linklater? Um, which which before is your favorite? There's before midnight, before sunset, before sunrise. I think widely regarded, I think before, uh, what's the second one? Sunset, yeah. Before sunset is 
the um, people regarded as the best of the three. Um, I, I mean, I feel differently about all three of them, like, because before Sunrise was the first one, like, it has a special place in my heart, but before Sunset is a great movie, and then before Midnight, like, I, I loved Before Midnight, and because it's the one that I watched the most recently, because it was the one that was released latest, like, it's, like, the most freshest in my mind, um, I don't know, so I, I guess I kind of like all three equally. For their own, like whatever. Uh, there's a there's that scene in Before Midnight. You know when they're in, like the, is it the hotel room and they're just fighting, mm-hmm. and, I, so he, I feel like he has like the most realistic characters in in like movies. You know, because there's a scene in Before Midnight where like they're fighting and they're getting they're fine, right? They're like resolving it and they're like kind of saying sorry and getting over it and then he's Ethan I forget what he he just says something as they're and then it just starts it all oh, over me. I'm just like yeah. oh my god it's so real life <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. I've done that I've done that so many times why would you do yeah. that um and then there's the in Before Sunset I think that's the one where he's like an author right and he wrote about yeah, yeah he yeah, writes yeah. about the stuff in Before yeah. Sunrise yeah. and he becomes famous or whatever um and I think in that movie he has an ex-wife. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read, uh, like so, before sunrise is all Richard Linklater, right? But then by the time they get to before sunset, it's more, it's very much collaborative. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the stuff he says apparently is you can kind of extrapolate from his relationship with Uma Thurman. Interesting, you know. And so it's it's a really interesting rewatch when you yeah, like go no, back I to that. Will. And then there's that one tracking shot. Again, like, it's because we love, love tracking, tracking shots. There's the tracking... Sh- I feel like Richard Linklater is amazing at tracking shots because in Before Sunset, there's the one where they're walking out of the bookstore, like, through, like, the foliage, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and the entire time they're talking. And then in Before Midnight, it's the car ride. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't... And I find myself, like, sometimes I get distracted. I'm like, how many times have they driven this, like, this, uh, this like, course or this, like, path, you know. Uh, before Sunrise, actually, I, it took me four times to finish it. Oh, really? Yeah, I couldn't finish it in one go, because it's, like, it's almost too much talking. You know... Like, maybe not. It's not, like, it's not any more talking than the other ones, no, but, but I it's just, definitely, like, I feel like with the Before series, it requires you to, like, actually focus, because it is talking. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah there's no way around it. Like, you can't be, like, on your phone playing, like, your iPhone game or whatever yeah. um, while watching it. Um, there's a movie. I didn't know Richard Linklater did. Did you know he directed School of Rock? Yes, and I love School of Rock. I also love School of Rock. I had no idea he so directed this. Yeah. Um, there's It's it's really interesting um, when you have a director who's so prolific. Like, when you look at um, people, like, certain mm. people's body of work, it's like... Oh my gosh! So, like you know, George Miller, the director of Mad Max, Mad Max, yeah. Like he directed Babe, Pig in the City. Like it's crazy. What? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, he. <laughs> I, you have to fact wrote, check yourself. No, 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 no. I'm positive. About oh, you're positive. That. Okay. I think he might have written it, but like he definitely, definitely. The talking pig one. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm gonna quickly. I'm gonna pull a Steve here and quickly fact check this. Yeah, while, why don't you? Yeah, while you fact check that, um, just a caveat with with Richard Linklater. He has a new movie out 
called Everybody Wants Some, and I believe how uh, Days and Confused was about the last day of school. Um, everybody wants, and that was in the seventies, right? Last day of yeah. school in the seventies. Everybody wants some is about like the first day of college for like these college baseball players. Um, yeah, I think it's like their freshman. Their freshman in college is their first day of school, and they're it's like the first day of like spring training or whatever for them, or maybe not spring training, but. I don't know, they're like baseball this players. movie I was telling Steve before, like, it kind of snuck up on. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what it was. I had to, like, look it up. And um, it's it's playing in theaters, but it's, like, oh, yeah. like it's, it's a very quiet release. Can I blow your mind for one second? Uh, feel free. George Miller wrote and directed Babe. That's... Babe, Pig in the City. Wait, so there's a Happy sequel. Happy Feet. Happy, Happy Feet, Feet. Too. Oh, yeah. my God. So it's so interesting. Like It's this... the same guy that... That's so that that's so bizarre. That is so bizarre. Yeah. So it's interesting, right? Oh my god. Was Babe was that a successful movie? Uh-huh. It was? I wish people can see my face. Yes, Steve. Really? It was so good. Yeah, and it's also like critically acclaimed. Is it? It was like nominated for Nominated for, for what? Oscars. Oh my gosh. Steve really? has never watched Babe. I've never no, I've never watched. Um, Babe will make you feel all the feels. What about Pig in the City, the, the second um, one? I don't have as strong a feeling <laughs> <laughs> towards that, but... Um, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is... It was nominated movie. for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. That is... That is I, I really need you to watch it. Can you watch it? Uh, Can you add that to the list of movies you're never going to see? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll add it to the list. That and Memento. Sure, sure. <laughs> right now the list is Memento and, and Babe. Babe. Um, so, okay. So then my next my next auteur. So this is where uh, we start delving into the realm of TV for me, right? So uh, the term auteurs is usually reserved for filmmakers, but I feel like Nowadays, especially as TV has more and more become the medium for storytellers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one example is Steven Soderbergh. He's on my short list of the top three best American directors right now. Um, he's like done with film, only sticking with uh, with TV. Maybe not exclusively with TV, but he's, you know, he's going to TV, and I feel like a lot of people are going to TV more and more. Uh, is there a reason why he said that he's? doing tv he did uh he mentioned it but i don't remember okay. what it was i okay. think it was i think he said there's a lot of limitations for films with for movies you know because there's it's like a tv more than i mean movies more than tv is about making money i mean tv is about making money too of course yeah but there's you know people are just trying to provide as much content as possible so they don't need everything to be like a home run you know, um, and you know Steven Soderbergh isn't really one to make blockbusters, so he's looking for a storytelling medium. Um, so, with that said, the first one I'm going to go with is Vince Gilligan. Mm-hmm. He is uh, currently the showrunner of Better Call Saul, but he uh, was originally the showrunner for Breaking Bad. Um, and at one point, uh, he was what is it like on staff for the X Files. Interesting. Yeah. So that's where he got started. X-Files, surprisingly, has produced a lot of, like, directors yeah. and writers. Um, <clears throat> so I chose Vince Gilligan because, one, I think he's phenomenal at making TV, but he also seems like a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. I feel like, like with a lot of TV auteurs, I'm thinking specifically uh, Matt Weiner, 
Mad Men. Mad. Um, David Chase for The Sopranos and David Simon for The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you include Breaking Bad, those are kind of like the Mount Rushmore of like the Golden Age TV, right? Yeah. It's like those are the four shows that put TV on the map um, in terms of critical acclaim, yeah. right? Uh, he was like the only one that's like a really nice guy. I felt like he's the only one that... What are you basing that off of? Interviews. Okay. Mostly interviews. You know, you, David Chase to this day... Um, I just rolled my eyes. Yeah, yeah, David Chase, like, to this day gets upset when people talk about or try to analyze the last episode of The Sopranos. Um, but isn't that what you want? I, you would think like, so, right? Yeah, a creator <clears throat> of content, like, for people to, like, analyze and, like, talk about your, like, the work that you just created. Yeah, so, so uh, David Chase is, is a jerk because, because of that. You know, he, like, to this day feels like he doesn't, no one deserves an explanation for that, and he hates like he like it's one thing if you're like oh you know it's it's up for interpretation, but he's just like a, he like gets upset if you bring it up to him. Uh, David Simon um, has gotten upset that people like still watch The Wire. Uh, come again? What do you? Mean? Yeah, like he. I I think he doesn't like this whole like binge watch. Uh, thing so he's super not into people that are watching The Wire for the first time now he's because I, I don't think it did very well in terms of ratings when it was on its initial run yeah so he was like uh, you know we could have used the viewership back then like why watch it now yeah but it's become this like cultural like I, I just don't like I, why, is that I, I know that, that I don't enough for you? Like, I don't think it's enough for, for him that's so you know? crazy to me okay and then uh, Matt Weiner is I believe kind of a, a jerk to like his his staff. From what I've read, it's um, he refuses to not give himself writing credits on an episode of Mad Men. I think he he has he's on every he's on every episode, episode on every episode. And even if someone's written the whole thing, if he touches it up or any edits made, he's like, oh, my name written by written by. He's always included. You know. Okay. Um, Vince Gilligan, and again, this is probably narrative just I've created in my head, but it's so nice that even after Breaking Bad, to so here's the thing, right? So Breaking Bad, phenomenal TV show. They end on an amazing high note. That last season of Breaking Bad, I feel like is, that's what I had envisioned for like Lost, mm-hmm. when like Lost happened, but instead of you know blowing up in flames it was like fireworks uh-huh. you know it was like uh-huh. confetti um and then when they announced better call saul i was like oh man like from all the interviews i read and all like the podcasts i listened to it sounded like he was just doing it so people could still work like because it's the same cast not same cast but it's the same crew it's it, and they shoot oh, on so- location the same location for people to have jobs. Yeah, though? that's what I that's what I thought. Okay. And then I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, d- maybe yes, but that's not mutually exclusive from him being amazing at making television." Mm-hmm. And so I don't think Better Call Saul is as good as Breaking Bad. I think it's wildly different, actually. Yeah. But there are still certain parts where. I'm, like, on the edge of my seat. I'm just like, oh, my God, what is going to happen? Visually, are they similar? Visually, they... There are some throwbacks to Breaking Bad Mm -hmm. in Better Call Saul. You know, it's a lot of camera angles where things are hidden and slowly 
reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of stuff like that. Um, it's a lot of playing around with corners. You know, uh, I feel like one thing, but it's also a little different too because the directors are different mm-hmm. every episode, but they do have similar directors. With with TV, it's not so much the visual as it is like the written. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I feel like films uh, are a lot more visual, you know, but with TV, it's a lot more of a written, yeah. it's more of a writer's medium, you know? So they do, and I think, but the, Parts I'm referencing where it's like corner cuts or, you know, slow reveals behind like a wall or a column. Those are part of the story. You know, I'm sure he writes that in the script. Um, so, yeah, Vince Gilligan, I think he's probably – he could do anything and I'd be super into it. He could start making films and I'd be super into it. You think um, for people like Vince who started off – because like we've talked about some, mm. like people like Steven Soderbergh moving from film to TV um, – do you know a lot of instances of people who are like TV showrunners that move to film? Not really, because most of, most of the showrunners only direct either like the pilot or the finale. Okay. You know, yeah. but there are a lot of instances where like, uh, like for example, I forget who the oh man, I should know who this lady's name is. But there was a director. She's directed episodes of Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad, and I think she's directing. Uh, Wonder Woman. Just... What is the status on Wonder Woman? I, I don't know. Okay. Oh, no, she left. Michelle McLaren. So Michelle McLaren was the... And she, I think, directed all the best episodes... Or some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. And uh, some good ones of, of Game of Thrones. And she was going to do Wonder Woman. So I think even TV to movie, yeah. that transition, it's mostly directors more than more than writers, from what I've seen. Uh, what about you? Did you have another one? Um, well, I guess if we're going to talk about TV people, um, I wasn't really going to talk about it, but, uh, I think Tina Fey and her partner, uh, I think his name's Robert Carlock, um, have very distinct styles, so Mm. they were, um, executive producers and partners on uh, Tina's show 30 Rock, and now they're doing Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt which I love, but I haven't watched the second season yet. Um, and, you know, it's very fast-paced. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, if you... Not if you blink, you'll miss it, but, like... There are I, not, like it's close, yeah. Sort of, like, go back and, like, listen to it again. I feel like what they allow their writers to do, who I'm assuming are all comedy writers, um, mm. just really go for it. And it's, like, a joke a minute, like... Um, and there's a lot of like uh, because it's it's a lot of like frenetic energy um, and there's so many jokes and there's so many like cutaways. It almost reminds me of like a live version of The Simpsons because oftentimes mm. it'll like cut away to something that like yeah it's still part of the story or what they're trying to say, but it's it takes you away from that actual scene um, and it's a visual gag that you see a lot in The Simpsons, but in like embodied in like real life um and 30 rock will always have like my favorite joke ever um it's it's the most famous one that i think people quote all the time like alec baldwin is in a tux and like tina Fey's character asks him like why are you dressed in a tux and he's like it's after 5 p.m like what do you think i am a farmer and it's like so funny and it's so stupid um so yeah i i can't really think of anybody else at the moment um but that was like what I was thinking about when you started to 
like think about like TV people. Mm-hmm. So you talked about very like serious, dramatic people, and I'm like, TSA. You know, I mean, I like. Uh, so I never finished Thirty Rock, but I do. I, you know what? To be honest, I didn't either. I like but, stopped watching the last two seasons. But I do. I did enjoy Thirty mm-hmm. Rock a lot. Um, and not to like hate, but like, I feel like. Uh, like, 30 Rock is, like, so genius. Because, yeah, you're right. It is a joke a minute. I think the rule in that writing room was, um, well, you know, let me let me present the alternative first, right? Which is, I hate a lot of comedies now. Right? You do. I do. I don't like... You don't think it's funny? You uh, think they're funny? It, you know what it is? So, when I specifically, when I watch Big Bang Theory... Yeah. And when I watch Modern Family. Modern Family infuriates me okay. the most. Because uh, Modern Family started off great, and I thought, and the premise is phenomenal. So good. Yeah. But you can almost, when you watch it, like, see the script. Yeah. You know, because it's like, it's like, you can see the three acts, and you can see, like, the three jokes per act. And you can see the one joke per page. You know? Okay, so here's my take. Because it's like it's like it follows the same follows beat. The, every, all, every episode follows the same beats. And I think that is also why, uh, following up from our discussion, like the last episode when we were talking about streaming versus traditional platforms, like, and why so much, quote unquote, better quality TV is being made for um, platforms that are not traditional broadcast because. I think for broadcast, you do have to follow those beats, right? Like, it has to be 22 minutes if you're a half-hour comedy because you have to, like, make room for the commercials and it has to be in three acts. And, like, so I totally get what you're saying, but I think some shows do it a little bit more seamlessly. But 30 Rock was on NBC. It was. It was. So I just, I don't know. I just, I don't like when I can see the seams. That's what it is. I don't like when I can see the seams. And with 30 Rock, it was, it it's just so funny, and they come at you so. And I, you know, I, I don't think it was an exaggeration. Like you can blink and just miss a joke, mm-hmm. you know, because that's how fast it comes. Um, so okay, so we have we have that. Um, you know, why don't we get into? Uh, did you have any other auteurs you no, want to talk? Okay. Let's let's. Why don't we go into obsessions of the week? Right, I'm very excited for this. Um, you can take a break now if you guys are tired or whatever. But uh, we're just going to steamroll right through this. So feel free to take a break now. But we're going to just steamroll right through this. What Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I don't care. I can go first. Um, you know what? I go first because I okay. think yours is a lot more interesting. You I want to end that. on yours. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, my obsession of the week uh, is Game of Thrones. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That was not the theme song. It was yeah, close. It, was, it, was so it wasn't close. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't that off. It wasn't that off. Um, better job next time. But the season premiere of Game of Thrones... All right, so I, I have a friend who had a baby, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh, congratulations. He's like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And I was like, so what was more exciting? I was like, the birth of your child or... First of all, why would you even ask this question? I don't know because it was a funny question, right? And then, I mean, he, he was like, obviously the baby. I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, for me personally, it was like a question worth asking. For him, he was like, no, it's not good. But um, so yeah, I thought it was as exciting as as the birth of a baby. That's how excited I was. Well, clearly you season. don't have a baby. No, but I feel like your answer would not be the same. But did it live up to all of your expectations? You know what? No, not really. But that's it, be, 
it, but oh, okay. it it didn't. But I mean, um, what season are we on? Five, six. Oh, this okay. is six. Um, but I'm super into it. There's, I think there's gonna be like ten ish episodes this season, mm-hmm. and they're talking about how like there's only gonna be thirteen more episodes after this season that they're gonna break up into two seasons. Why are they breaking up a thirteen episode into two seasons? It's based on the books, right? Well, that's the thing. This is the first season that's not based on a book because they've caught up. They're past the books now. They can do whatever they want. What are they going to do when he releases the next book? What what is who going to do? The TV show. Well, that's the thing, right? So uh, George R.R. Martin, him letting these two dudes make the book, Mm -hmm. because I think people have been trying to make movies out of this for so long. Yeah. And then HBO is like, hey, we want to make a TV show. He's like, oh, interesting. I'm open. They found these two guys, Benioff and Weiss, to to create the show. And they had read the books. And he was like, I'll let you – I'll release the rights. I'll let you guys make this TV show. But you guys have to answer this question. And it was, who are um, Jon Snow's parents? Because that's mm-hmm. like a, a – not a, the central question, but one of the, the major questions in the book. And they got it right. And he Wait, was like, do you know? Do people know? There is speculation, and people are like 95, 99% sure of who his parents are. There's, there is there's an a, answer. There's a fan theory that I will not spoil, right. That, but people are pretty sure they know who his parents are. That's so interesting. So there's, an, there's a definite answer, because since they got it, right? Is and it he told to be, them uh-huh. how the story ends. The series? The series, in case he died... Before he, like, finishes, he the, finishes the books. Because it takes him like 10 years a book. Um, he's like super old already. He's super old. Like I, I, And this part, I don't know if it's true. But I've heard that one of the books he had to split into two. Because modern book binding couldn't contain that many pages. So he had to split so books. Um, so this is the first season. They're going... Off script, not off script, but they're like they're predicting the is script. Is he a, is um is the author like a consultant on the show? You know what? Every season before last season, so before season five, every season he got to direct and write one episode. He directed. He he used to direct an oh, episode, an episode a season, and when he found out that they were gonna, because I think he assumed. That they were, they, gonna wait for they were gonna wait for him, maybe do like filler seasons or whatever. And they were like, "No, nah, we're just we're trying to make the best TV show possible." Like, you know, respect, yeah. but you know, we're just we're doing this. And I and then he stopped. Oh, is there a feud? I there, there's a feud because he's now gone on record as saying like, "Oh, you know, I just figured out this new character arc or this new arc for this character." But you know, because the the TV show because it flew by, like it's too late. They can't. They're Wait, no, so that it. is my question. So when the next book is released, like, it will literally have nothing to do with the show. Like, the show, no. the show can't go back. The show, exactly. Creating. The show can't go back. But, so each season, the TV show takes certain creative liberties to fit a two a 1,000-page book into yeah. 10 hours of right. TV, right? Um and each season, it makes, like, minor changes. But as each season's gone along, the changes have become a little more and more major. Mm-hmm. And so, but the the narrative arc has stayed the same. And I think even with this new season, with the new book, the narrative will remain the same even if the details, you know, from ra- the details that range from major to minor uh, 
change, mm-hmm. like the the narrative and the plot will remain the same. So oh, I, I don't see. think at any point it's going to be like wildly different stories where like in one version of the story, you know, it like is a happy ending and the other one's like a bad ending right. or like there are going to be major changes to major characters, you know. Um, is this one of those shows that you watch live? Yeah, this is definitely a show I watch live. Because Because I can't, I, I don't want Twitter or Facebook to spoil it for me. So you have to. So I have to watch it live, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I this is my obsession of the week. This is probably my obsession for the Next month, 10 weeks or whatever. Next however many weeks, yeah, nine weeks or whatever. So I'm super into into Game of Thrones. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to hear, to talk about your obsession of the week. Um, I feel like it's so basic, but my obsession of the week is everyone's obsession of the week, uh-huh. I feel like. It's uh-huh. Lemonade, um, which is Beyonce's new album that she dropped uh, a week ago today. Um, was that a secret release, or did she It wasn't she as secret it? as her last album, because she teased it. So people knew something was happening called Lemonade on HBO. and then, But like nobody oh. knew what it was. And then the people tuned in and it turned out that it was an entire album set to this narrative, uh, visual, um, hour-long, I guess, music video kind of. Um, so I, I haven't seen Lemonade. So is it one music video or is it like a series? Is it like... Music video, like, cut. I feel and, like, so bad about saying this, but I spent the last week packing and unpacking. And oh, that's things, right. That's so right, that's I haven't right. actually watched it, but from my understanding, it's not so much. Because um, her last album also came with a music video for every single song, so which was all the more, uh, uh, which is why people were so shocked by it, because not only did she release a secret, super secret album that nobody was expecting but like every single song had enough like a music video to it yeah, and yeah. those are very distinct I think this one has a little bit more of a flow to it so I don't know if so I think um I think people are just like thinking of it as this like one long music video um so what I want to talk about isn't necessarily the actual album and the actual visuals for it because um I just downloaded the actual album and I haven't seen the visual album yet mm-hmm. but it's the craziness of the Bayhive. It's the hoopla that was around Becky with the good hair, um, who it, it was a reference in um, one of the songs. Um, and I think at this point, it's no secret that Jay-Z probably cheated on Beyonce. Okay, and see, hold on. Let's, let, let's, let's stop right there. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Did he? I don't... Well, I don't know. That's the thing, Because right? I, I feel like everyone interprets this as, like... Oh, this is like this work of art reflects real life, but is it possible it's like fiction? It's totally possible. And Beyonce is not someone who ever will talk about anything that oh, is really? real life. Yeah. That's what I think is so interesting about Beyonce. And I think we can totally dedicate um, a, a show get, yeah. on um, celebrities and like their personas and their use of social media. Beyonce, I feel like uh, she is very private about her life and she only, she has so much control over what is like what people see about her that I feel like none of us really know who she is. Um, She's super secretive. She doesn't do a lot of interviews. When she does, they're heavily 
editorialize and they're mm-hmm. very like she just I just feel like I don't know who she is as a person because right. you, she doesn't let you see that um, her Instagrams are like heavily edited heavily like um, filtered there it's it's a very controlled uh, picture of what she wants you to see about her life um, so yeah while the whole world is having a meltdown about like who could this Becky be it's very possible that nobody's Becky and uh-huh. she's just like this character that she's created is like a Sasha Fierce right like yeah. it's not a real thing but um but anyways because of this like Twitter and Instagram Facebook like everybody on social media had a meltdown yeah and um like I think like five different people have been accused of being Becky with the good hair um do you want to go through them sure so the main I feel like the main Suspect right now is uh, the designer Rachel Ray. Rachel Roy. Roy? Sorry, it's definitely Roy. not Rachel Ray. But but people have made the same mistake that I have, and so people have been flooding Rachel Ray's. Like, Are you serious? Yeah. Um. So the the power of one letter, <laughs> and like I think Rachel Ray, the cook, um, has taken it in stride, and I'm sure it's the most action that her like oh, social for media sure. has seen in for like sure. ever. Um. But then, yeah, people were just like, guys, don't be stupid. Like, it's not Rachel Ray, it's Rachel Roy. Rachel Roy is a designer. She used to be married to Damon Dash, who used to be Jay-Z's, uh-huh. like, business partner. Oh. Um, and she also used to intern at, like, Rock Aware or whatever Jay-Z's old, like, clothing label was. Uh-huh. And so, like, there's been rumors for years that she is, like, has been his mistress. or has, And you know that incident at the Met Gala? With um, uh, Solange? With Solange. Um, Rachel also happened to be there, and a lot of people, even at that time, speculated that what? she went like crazy on Jay Z because of this whole like um, you know whatever these infidelity rumors. So she's kind of been the number one suspect. Um, she kind of brought it on herself too um, because yeah, right Instagram, after right, right after uh, Lemonade aired and that like whole catchline of Becky with the good hair uh, like caught on fire she posted Rachel Roy posted a photo of like her like and her friends and like the caption said something along with like good hair don't care so if you're gonna do that then yeah expect some flames and but I think like I don't think she expected the with the backlash to be so like so huge I think the power of Bayhive um it's just really really interesting because to me like I'm not that used to um fandoms especially for like I think boy bands um experience a lot of like crazy girls like going like crazy throwing their underwear on stage and like um just if I could be reborn as something I would want to be reborn as a member of a male pop band because I think girls screaming at you is like probably like there's nothing like it in the world but I'm so not used to like um like female sing because females are always under, like, the scrutiny, and, like, guys aren't just, like, they're not as, like, enthusiastic or as vocal as, like, women can be, um, that, like, to me, like, the Bayhive acting as this, like, crusader of, um, uh, like, just being this, like, fiercely loyal protector of, like, their idol, it's, like, it's hilarious. Like, defender of the sanctity of marriage, you know? Um, but to me, like, Oh, there's so many things I want to say about this. The first, 
I feel like the dialogue always moves in this direction, right? Like, we are all obsessed with, like, who this, like, woman, who this mistress, like, is. But, hmm. like, hi, um, if if this is all true, like, what she's saying is that Jay-Z was unfaithful in their marriage. And mm-hmm. Jay-Z's not getting any flack for this at all. Um, hmm. So I think that's, that's interesting, but that's also very typical. Um, I think Beyonce is also aware of that, and so she, um, she just kicked off her uh, formation tour. And oh, did it start already? Mm-hmm. It started in Miami this week, and I, at, uh, the first night she dedicated um, Halo to her husband. So I think by her doing that, it's, it's like, you know what, guys, we're happy, like, like we're good, like, let's, let's just... Jay-Z is my, the love of my life. It's fine. Um, so I, I think the I think she's kind of put her, like, foot down on, like, don't blame him for anything or whatever. But I just, it makes my blood boil sometimes that, like, women get this, like, treatment. Like, Rachel Roy, I don't think I like her. I don't think I don't like her. She's, like, in hiding right now. She's canceled her, like, public appearances this week um, because of the power of, like, these, like, these, these crazy phonetic like fans um wanting like wanting the truth or like wanting her to burn at the stake um but again it takes two people to tango and also one of them happened to be in an actual marriage yeah Um, so that sucks uh secondly i think that you know i don't necessarily i mean i think i guess good i guess any sort of publicity is good publicity but um you know, unfortunately, like, the discussion of, like, the release of Lemonade hasn't been, like, the about the quality of this work of art that she's mm-hmm. put out. It's mm-hmm. it's literally been about, like, who the F was Jay-Z effing. Like, yeah. and I think, I haven't really listened to it, but it's gotten good reviews and, like, but nobody's actually talking about the music and, like, the work itself. Or even, like, the other messages in the, the album. Yeah, I mean, right? she, yeah, it's... It's so much about, like, I think the whole album is so much about, like, her being a woman and going through all of these emotions, um, and it's kind of been overshadowed by this one thing, um, but the left, the biggest lesson that I've learned from all of this is that I didn't know the lemon emoji existed until, I didn't, uh, yeah, that's the thing, like, I'm just, like, all I see is the lemon, lemon emoji, so, uh, thank you, Beyonce, for So, she's got the lemon emoji, she's got the bee emoji. The bee emoji, emoji. Is there a hive emoji, like the, maybe, like, a beehive emoji? Probably, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but it's been really interesting, and I would I will report back with how much I've liked Lemonade because um, I love uh, I I'm a huge Beyonce fan. I'm, I don't think I belong in the Bayhive because I don't give a f. But um, I like her album Four is one of my favorite albums. Oh, of all Four is time. good. Yeah, it got me. Four is real good. Like, it's so good. I'm a huge fan of her last album, so I'm really excited to hear this album, and I kind of hope that in the coming weeks, like, it like it goes back to the discussion and the dialogue goes back to being about the music rather than about who a song is about. All right. Yeah. Great. All right. Um, so, yeah, check out Lemonade. Check out Game of Thrones. Um that's it for, for us this week. You got anything else? No. Thanks right. for listening to us. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, like our Facebook page, like our uh, SoundCloud. Both are at, I think, No One Is Listening podcast, both on Facebook and SoundCloud. Um, drop a like, comment, only if you like us, though. If you don't like us, don't. 
don't write don't comment yeah don't comment yeah don't be a troll don't be troll um so yeah uh hope you guys enjoyed and we'll see you guys next time bye